And today we have Mike Grimm coming to share God's word and message that he's placed on his heart. I so appreciate Mike's willingness and obedience to do what God has asked him to do. First things first. I think that works. There we go. All right. Now, um, a few months ago, there were quite a few of us that gathered around. Um, I think it was our, actually our dining room. Do I need to step away from this guy a little bit? Okay, good. All right. I didn't want to hear the, the, the hum there. Um, to create a strategic plan and um, core values. And it's not like we were in, you know, intrinsically wise you know, in our own minds here. This was all something that we prayed about for a long time and created. And you've probably seen this, the, um, the, the mission statement, vision statement, and on the back, um, the core values. And through just in the weeks prior to Advent, Jim preached on, on each one of these. But as we were just sitting around our table, we just kind of said, you know, if there's something... Um, about one of these core values that really kind of grabbed each one of us, not Jim, but just all those uh, rest of us that were, um, that were in, in that small ad hoc committee that put this together. If something grabbed you, um, you, you should feel the freedom to come and, and, and share that. Um, and everybody said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of these, but to my knowledge, I'm the only one that's done that so far. So um, maybe I'm the first. So um, somebody else may, may come after that. So that's, that's fine. Uh, and I'm happy to be the, the first one. Um, but these, these are, are extremely, extremely valuable. I want to talk about the last one. And if you're not familiar with that, and there are some out on the, on the, in the foyer as we go out the door if you want to look at it. It says, Righteous Refuge. And, and just before Advent, Jim preached on it. It says, we value providing a safe place that promotes hope and healing for all. And there's three different verses that are associated with that there. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about any of those verses today, but I do want to talk about something else. It brings to mind a passage that is one of my favorites. It's a, um, in my mind, it's a very incredible picture into the very heart of Jesus, who he is. Um, so I'm going to read, I don't know if it says in the bulletin, if I gave that to Stephanie or not, but it was uh, John chapter 8. And you know, um, before I came to Happy Valley, I grew up in a bunch of different churches, but the two favorite, my most favorite churches I grew up in, when we read from the Bible, well, we stood up. So can you indulge me for just uh, one Sunday today? If you can, if it's a big deal to stand up, don't stand up. But stand up, turn to John chapter 8. I won't make you read, I promise I won't make you do that. But it's, it's kind of cool just to stand and, and listen to the, to the Lord's word. John chapter 8, uh, verse 2. At dawn, he, he being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses, uh, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down 
and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. It's a profound, profound statement, profound picture of Jesus. I had lunch with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, you can sit down. I'm sorry, yeah. Stand the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Just got into it. Doesn't say make them sit down again. So, so I probably should have typed that in. Yeah, good, good point. Yeah. So at some random point, I'll make you stand up again. No, I won't. You can sit the rest of the time. Um, I had lunch with a friend of mine. Uh, and my friend was telling me about their spouse's experience in a public meeting. And the public meeting had to do with um, uh, an issue, I won't go into all, all the details, but an issue that is sort of a big deal in our culture today. And we would, as Christians, think this is a ridiculous issue. But nonetheless, it's an issue. And apparently in this meeting, there were um, well-meaning Christian, maybe not Christian, maybe little c Christian, I don't know, folks who were testifying and, and trying to get their opinion across. And my friend's spouse said this comment that just was like a knife through me. He says, wow, Christians are mean. And I asked my friend a little bit more about the details of the meeting. And my friend was right when I heard more of what was said, they were mean. They were downright mean. Now, they were probably well-meaning folks, but they were mean nonetheless. It's like, is that really how we should separate ourselves as mean? Standing up for some righteous pedestal. It's not. It's not. And I wanted us to look at this verse today and think of that and think of, are we really having, creating, allowing a safe place for folks to be? Okay, well, let's look at this. So first, let's get a picture in our heads of what's happening here. Look at the verse that you have there. Look at the passage. What's going on? Where is Jesus? Well, he's sitting in the temple courts. Okay. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to anybody specific? No, he's talking to a big, big group of folks. Okay. And what's he doing? Is he standing up like I am? Everybody else is sitting down? No. Very common in that day, teachers actually sat amongst the students. It's kind of cool. So he was sitting there. My guess is he's God. He's very captivating, wouldn't you think? If you were sitting listening to Jesus today in a temple court or in somebody's home or in some field, he's captivating. He captivated people's attention. He captivated everybody was there except a group 
of religious leaders, I'm going to call them religious elites today. They clearly were not interested in what he was saying. Because, if you notice, they just barged right in. They didn't wait. They interrupted what he was trying to teach. And so here they are dragging in this woman who they're accusing of adultery. All right? And we'll get to talk about her and look at her in depth in a minute. But they ask him this really sly question. They ask him, Teacher, we caught this woman in an adulterous relationship. The Mosaic law commands us to stone the woman of this nature. What do you think we should do? What do you think about that? Okay. First of all, if the religious elite, if these Pharisees were really that interested in following the Mosaic law, how come they didn't really follow the Mosaic law to the full extent? They ignored half of it. You will turn to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It's a very short verse. It says there, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Time out. They're only dragging one person here into the temple courts in front of Jesus. All right? So there's no man there. Maybe the man was one of the people in that religious elite group. Who knows? That's just conjecture on my part. So this isn't really about the woman and about the Mosaic law as much as it is about Jesus. But it sure gives us a picture of the religious elite and how little or no compassion they had for this woman. They were mean. They were mean people. None to be honest. All right, so I told you we'll go back and we'll look at the woman. We'll kind of flip-flop back and forth a little bit. So let's look at her for a moment. Pause for a moment. Think about what she's going through. Think about what her situation is. Is she guilty? Oh, I'm sure she is. I'm sure she's 100% guilty. She's right now being publicly humiliated in front of a fairly large crowd. Okay. Second thing. My guess is she knows what's on the hook for here. She's scared out of her mind. Right? We read those words and we gloss over them, but think about it. She assumes that she's going to die by stoning unless something happens, like Jesus intervenes for her, if he would. We don't have any indication from the text that she knew anything about Jesus. She wasn't there in the crowd. She was brought through the crowd. So we don't, we don't think that she was um, probably there to listen to him anyway. Put yourself in her place. She's been dragged from her home or maybe the actual place that she was committing the adultery. She's probably been roughed up a little bit. Her clothes are probably a, torn a little bit. They've been tugging at her and, you know, all this. She's probably a little bruised. Her hair is probably all tousled. She's being humiliated and she's afraid that in the next few minutes her life is going to end. Okay, that's what she's thinking. 
So going back to the religious elite, these folks were looking to accuse Jesus of something, anything. didn't matter to them. They hoped to pin him into a corner by getting him sideways with their own Mosaic law. But you know, he's God. He saw what they were going to do before they even did it. He saw their weak plot, and he turned their tables on him. Now, again, the woman would have liked it if he'd have come in and rescued her, you know, the knight in shining armor, so to speak. She may have hoped that she could even appeal to his mercy if she knew anything about him and that she might be spared, her life might be spared. Oh, if he would only say something like, release that woman and let her be on her way, I'm sure she'd be grateful. But read the text. He didn't do that, did he? Not at all. He didn't do that at all. In fact, I don't even think he looked at her. He looked straight down at the ground and he started writing in the sand, all the while ignoring the religious elite. He didn't respond to them. We don't know what other questions they may have had. The text says they were very persistent, maybe almost annoyingly persistent. They may have asked him multiple questions, or they may have asked him that same question over and over and over again. But finally, he stood up, and after looking at the ground for so long and writing on the ground, he made a very profound statement. Verse 7, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So let's go back to the woman for a moment. This was her last hope. If she knew anything about Jesus, as I mentioned, she might think he could intervene and save her life. But wait, what is he saying? He's basically agreeing with the religious elite that she's guilty. She's doomed. She is guilty. We'll just assume that she is. She's doomed. What is she doing? She's probably closing her eyes tight. She's probably clenching her fists. She's probably gritting her teeth, bracing for a very painful end to her life. She knows she's going to be stoned in her mind. Jesus said, let the first one who's sinless throw a stone at her. She doesn't know anything about sin. What does she know? She's scared like very few people have ever been scared for their life. Imagine the most terrifying thing you could be facing right now, face to face, having it stare at you. And that's what she's going through. She's bracing for death. Slow, painful death. Stoning takes a long time. It's very painful. Now back to Jesus. Let's go back to him for a minute. After he makes the statement, verse 7, he goes back to writing in the ground. Really? There's this major chaos, major confrontation that's about to take place. And he just starts to go back to the ground. I'm going to take an aside for just a second. Do you ever think that Jesus in his earthly ministry did anything that didn't have a specific purpose to it? This is just conjecture. Do you ever think he said to his disciples, hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to go spend a few days chilling 
at the Mediterranean coast, catching some rays for a little bit there, okay? Or I'm off to go play some hoops for a little bit. I'm gonna go play some golf. I'm gonna go to the movies here, or I'm gonna go down to the local tavern and knock down a few brewskis with the boys. How about if you, you take care of each other and all these folks that are gathered out here, I'll be back on Monday after a nice long weekend and everything will, will be fine. And I don't believe so. I don't believe he ever did that. I think everything that Jesus did had a purpose, specific purpose for the kingdom, even really small things. You may ask, well, don't you ever think that Jesus had fun? Sure, I think he did have fun. We know he went to at least one party, right? I mean, I'm sure that was fun. We know that he ate at probably hundreds of people's homes. He didn't have a house and a kitchen during his earthly ministry. So he had to eat someplace. He ate somebody else's place. And Rod will be the first one to jump up and, and say amen, hopefully, that he was a fisherman. He had to have fun doing that, right? He was out fishing. There you go. He probably did many things that were fun because even though he's 100% God, he's 100% man. He knew the joy of fellowship, of love, of interaction with people. He loved us. He loved the people that he saw in front of him. And he wanted to interact. He wanted to have communion, fellowship with them. He had to enjoy that. But I'm 100% certain that the fun that he had was part of a direct purpose for his kingdom. Everything he did, even what seems small, had some specific purpose for furthering the kingdom. So here's the secondary. That's, this is the, the, the side part. Here's the secondary take-home message today, folks. If we're involved in activities that have little to no purpose for advancing the kingdom today or to ministering to others, we should take a serious look at the, our involvement in those and ask ourselves, who is being served today? Who is that? I don't care what the activity is. I don't care what the event is or how harmless we think it is. If it's not advancing the kingdom in some ways, maybe we shouldn't do it, whatever it is. Okay, now I'm going to go back. So here, and there's a reason why I had that aside. So here we are at Jesus again, I believe purposefully writing in the dirt. And here is one of the reasons why this passage is so fascinating to me. I don't think he was just doodling in the dirt. I don't. Because everything he does had a purpose for advancing the kingdom some way, shape, or form. But whatever he was writing in the dirt must have been important. Why? Look at the text and look at the reaction that came about that. What did the religious elite do? They left. They all left. But not at once. They all left one at a time, the text says. And the text further says, the oldest first, and then to the youngest. That's fascinating. Because they didn't leave because of something he said. He didn't say anything more. The text doesn't record that. He just wrote in the dirt. 
He didn't even look at them. Here are a bunch of religious elite guys, maybe already starting to pick up rocks, ready to fire. And he didn't say anything to them. If he had said something that the text didn't record, they probably all would have responded. They started asking him more questions or yelling at him or maybe not even leaving. Maybe they would have just stuck it out and kept arguing with him. But leave they did. They left without saying a word, the text says. They left without a whimper. So here's the million dollar question. Wouldn't you like to know what he was writing in the dirt? The text doesn't say, does it? It was interesting enough that everyone there left and they didn't stone the woman. So it had to be powerful, and it was. The text doesn't tell us what he wrote, but I believe the context of the passage does. This is me, this is my opinion. I believe in the dirt with his finger, he started writing for each person that was there, starting with the oldest to the youngest, the sins of each one of those people there, starting with the oldest. The stuff, the ugly, dirty, no one is ever gonna know what is in my closet except God and me stuff. He started listing each of their sins in the dirt, I believe. And as each one saw their own muck written in the muck, they were horrified and they couldn't tolerate staying there and couldn't wait to leave. And when one left, he started writing the next one and the next one and the next one. One by one, he wrote all their sins until the last accuser left. Jeremiah 17, verse 13, interestingly enough says, those who turn away from the Lord will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord in the dust. So how horrified would you be if every time you wanted to pass judgment on somebody, there on the big screen behind me or on the, on the display board out in front were your sins, the ones that you keep well hidden from everybody else? except God, of course. I don't think anybody would want that, would they? I wouldn't. Not then, folks, not today. Now let's go back to the woman. Here she is. She's standing all by herself, very much alone. You can imagine that if there was a threat of somebody stoning somebody, they're all going to move away from that person, right? Nobody wants to be anywhere near where those stones are going to be thrown. She's thinking her life is over. Again, fists and eyes clenched tightly shut, gritting her teeth, waiting for the onslaught to start. Each second that a stone wasn't thrown must have seemed like an eternity. She's waiting. At this point, maybe let's just get it over with. I know I'm going to die. She's waiting, but she's waiting and not wanting for her final punishment for sin to start. But it never did start, did it? 
It never did. And eventually all of her accusers left. Somewhere towards the end of that, she had to have opened her eyes. Just see what was going on. Just a little bit. Until finally only Jesus was left with her. He finally straightened up. Not morally straightened up. I mean, like, stood up, you know. And he probably turned for the first time to see her face. And she probably thought, what's going to happen now? What would this man do to me? What would Jesus do to me? I'm guessing based on her past, she's not had a lot of good, healthy relationship with men. She's probably been abused by some, maybe by many. So she's probably a bit distrustful, seems to reason, of men. Jesus asks the obvious question to her, where did everyone go? She's probably thinking, hey, you saw it. (laughs) Why are you asking me? Where did everybody go? Has no one condemned you? Has no one judged you by throwing that first stone at you? With probably a trembling voice, but yet a relieved voice, she meekly replied, No one, sir. Nobody. And then Jesus says what I believe is the key statement for us today to remember. He says, then neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. But now go and leave your life of sin. She was a sinner. Pure and simple. Sinner. 100%. But folks, the God of this universe said, neither do I condemn you. How? She was an adulteress. She's evil. She's full of wickedness. She's not the kind of person that you want to associate with. Right? Who wants to be associated with an adulteress? Tramp. Yet, yes, there was sin in her life for certain. And he told her to turn away from that, of course. But condemnation wasn't what Jesus was about in his earthly ministry. It's not why he came here. He took on a ministry here with us for a completely different reason. Scripture tells us why he came. Luke 19, verse 10, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Save it. Beloved, he didn't shut the doors on the lost. He didn't close them off. He didn't send them back into the streets empty-handed. He didn't verbally abuse and ridicule and judge the lost in their sin. He went looking for us. If you remember the cantata that we had this Advent, it was about God seeking us. He sought us out. He sought us like he wanted to find us. He did. He still does today. Despite all of our mess, all of our disgusting sin, all of our brokenness, he seeks us out today and wants to find us. 
Why? Why would the God of the universe want us, right? We're dirty, sinful, broken. He wants to clean us. He wants to clean us. He wants to heal us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to pull us back to him. That's why. It's really that simple. In the end, the religious leaders then were more interested in stoning Jesus than they were stoning the woman. They treated the woman as if she were inhuman because to them she was. For they had no compassion on her. They despised Jesus as well for everything he represented, a threat to their very way of life. They had no respect for him. They addressed him as teacher in the text, not as Lord, Rabbi, Master, Father, Abba, any of that. But yet they were the very people who should have recognized him, right? They should have recognized him as the Savior, but they were too wrapped up in their own self-righteousness to even want a Messiah, much less be looking for him. And amazingly, he even loved the religious elite. This is a group that if you had the opportunity, you'd say, I'm going to tear into these guys like a monkey on a cupcake, right? <laughs> Don't think about that too much. <laughs> he may not have liked them for what they were doing, but he really could have verbally humiliated them, right? He could have stood up and said, you, Mr. Chief Priest, this is what you've done, and publicly defaced them. He could have written it on stone if he wanted to, just by thinking, boom, it's on stone. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't publicly humiliate them. He individually humiliated them. He showed them what their life was. He showed them the sin that was in the dirt. He didn't do that because he is Savior to all. As despicable as those guys were, he loves them too. And he would want them to come to him as well. He didn't come to condemn them either. He came to save them as well. What about you? Are you more interested in preserving a self-righteous looking building full of self-righteous people who every Sunday morning look very impressive on the outside that maybe are cold and icy on the inside? Are we people who say that person, whoever that person is, that woman, that man, they don't belong here because you can't have smokers or drug users in our congregation. That person was married once before and now is divorced. That person spends too much time at bars drinking or drinking at home. That person's had an abortion before she was married. This is not a good place for somebody with a gambling addiction to be. We don't want that person here. That couple have been living together for several years now without being married. That guy over there cheated on his wife and got mixed up in pornography. That couple is the same sex couple. We can't have them here. Or do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to follow his pattern? Follow his ministry? Seek the lost? Befriend them? Pray for them? Encourage them? Love them? And let them 
come face to face to, with Jesus through you so that he can do a good work through you and the Spirit in them. Do you want to do that? Oh, we know the Bible records what God says about a life of sin and about a life of holiness. We understand that. We are very good students of that. But our job isn't to be the moral switch and beat people over the heads with our Bibles until they succumb. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, you can read your text if you want to here, go and make smoke-free, sober, monogamous, heterosexual disciples of all nations. He didn't say that. He just said, go make disciples. Go tell people about me. I got the rest, he says. I got the rest. Let, let people come. Open your doors. Let them come. Don't judge them when they come in. Yeah, they're sinners. So are you. There is no degree of sin. You either sin or you're not. Jesus said, I came not to judge you, but to save you, to redeem you, to heal you in your brokenness and sin and make you whole again. Folks, let's allow God to use us, this church, this building, these people, these hands, arms and legs, to let others see Jesus through us. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and we're going to pray. Jim's going to come up and lead us in prayer. That this would be a wasted time here today if you didn't have an opportunity to come forward and to say, I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of this. I'm tired. I'm tired of a of a false pretense. I got stuff in my life I got to deal with. I'm not proud of it. Sin is embarrassing. Sin stinks. Sin. But get it out. And if we, if I asked everybody to raise their hand and say, you got stuff in your life? You got a closet that Jesus wants to open in your life? You've got all the things in your spiritual house stuffed in there? That's where he wants to go. He wants you to open that closet. No, look at the living room. It's all nice and pretty. No, no, no. I want that closet. That's where you got stuff that I need to haul out of there and clean up. Everybody should raise their hand. Everybody. So I don't want to raise anybody's hands with everybody's eyes closed. But think it through. Think it through your heart. This is a chance. Clean slate. Don't, don't wait. Come forward. Come forward, we'll pray with you here. We don't need to know all of it. If you want to tell us, fine. If you don't, don't. But come forward. Get rid of it. If you're sitting out there going, hey, you know what? I might be one of those mean people. I could pass judgment on somebody else like nobody's business. Don't. Change. Embrace the compassion that Jesus had. For even the people that were trying to kill him, who eventually did put him on the cross, he had love and he had compassion for them. Do it. Come forward. Say, I don't want to be the mean person anymore. I don't.